So in that, I want to also give my extended thanks to you for opening up your homes and just being a part of welcoming them. I think God has us strategically placed um, in Southern California with uh, the denomination we're part of, the Christian Missionary Alliance. Uh, Several people from the district offices attend this church. And uh, we have partnerships with other alliance churches in Southern California. And um, I think God's calling us to horsepower up a little bit in uh, training, equipping, and sending out young people. Now, some of you may say, well, you know, our congregation has changed a little bit over the years, and I wouldn't describe us as a bunch of just young people anymore, and though that's sort of how it started. But um, I think God's calling us to retool in some ways to really bring in younger people and uh, to be able to not just have them with us, but to encourage them and even let them lead us. As you know, we've been through some staffing transitions of what's going on with us as a body, and um, Jeremy did a great job finishing up last week of the men's retreat and that kind of thing, and He'll be around here or there, maybe that kind of thing. But I want us to know that what God's taking us through as a church is an exciting thing to me because he gets us really broken and down low before he starts to really lift us up some ways. And I think God's in the process of doing that. And I think one of the things I want to encourage us as a body to pray about is what God is calling us to do, not only for ourselves, but in reaching out and becoming an equipping sinner. And uh, you can pray with me in particular. This afternoon I have a phone call actually um, to one of those students that was a part of uh, the trip that they came here from New York last week. Uh, One of the things we discovered with the team that came was that there were a lot of really good worship people. And there were people that were passionate not only about planting churches, which is the seminar they came here for to be a part of and be trained underneath. But uh, they really want to uh, reach people for Christ through a passionate means. And uh, we found ourselves one evening in a home just sitting around watching a couple of them play the piano, strum a guitar, and just really sing with a spirit of worship. And uh, I'm having a phone call with one of those individuals about them possibly coming for a summer internship. And I don't know if it will work out or not. There's several we could sort of try to encourage and that kind of thing. But uh, be with me in prayer about that as well as this individual looking at coming to join us for the summer. But it's that kind of thing that I really want us to dial into Uh, I know that Josh is working with the student ministry and trying to encourage that and bring in some uh, fresh leadership to be able to raise it up and see it move forward in some new directions. But God's at work. I don't ever want any of us ever to be discouraged about transitions and change, but we have to continue to look where God is at work. And, uh, you know, one of the funny things about that video was that my son, Zach, actually gave surfing lessons. He's only been here for two months. But he was. He was there giving surfing lessons because somebody given him some surfing lessons. But, um, you know, I want us to be able to uh, encourage people um, to come and use their gifts and stretch out and that we would be uh, mindful to um, embrace what God is doing. And just with that surfing kind of idea is that God, he, he has a waves. And when a surfer's out surfing, I'm not a surfer. I did do the boogie board and the raft thing when I was growing up kind of deal. But you're out there and you're doing what? The majority of your time is waiting for a good wave. And so many times in seeking God's blessing, there is a patience and observing and a waiting. And we want to seize the momentum that God has for us as a church. And so keep that analogy in your mind. 
Um, I don't know if my son can give you any surfing lessons or not, but I want my surfing lessons coming from God and being able to discern what wave is he creating and what do we need to ride with. And I believe one of those things is for us to focus on um, raising up, equipping, and sending out uh, young leadership. You with me? Jesus, we commit this next time to you for sure. May you speak into our lives as you've been speaking into our lives on such a significant matter. I know not who is here wrestling with what, but you do. And for that, Lord, I just submit myself to participate with your spirit in the wave of momentum that you're seeking to strike in someone else's life. In your name we pray. Amen. So we finish up today with uh, this series called Discovering God's Will, which is very pertinent, relevant to all of us, no matter where we're at in life. The story is told of a young lady who was a flight attendant, and uh, she wanted to take a week of vacation, and so she went to the Rocky Mountains, and she enjoyed her week immensely. There was, of course, the beautiful uh, mountain peaks. There was uh, the incredible blue sky. There was the sweet smell of the pine, and uh, as she was there for that week, uh, she uh, just got caught up in a lot of the, the beauty and the wonder of it all, including an adoring young eligible bachelor who happened to own a cattle ranch and live in a cabin. In fact, it went so well that week that he proposed to her by the end of the week. Now, this all caught her pretty off guard and all sort of seemed to happen fast, but man, she just had an enthralling kind of week. And so she said, you know, I I can't say anything. I think I just need to go home and focus on my job for a while. And so as a flight attendant, she was actually flying on her way home, and she thought she would sort of freshen herself up a little bit, so she went into that small little restroom, and she was refreshing herself up a little bit, and they hit a little bit of turbulence. And all of a sudden, this light came on that said, please return to the cabin. And so that's exactly what she did, the cabin in the mountains. She went back. That's a Reader's Digest story. What do you do with them, right? (laughs) But here's the question. Uh, What do you look for? How do you decide uh, to make your decisions? I trust somewhere along the way of your decision making, at least for the significant ones, right? You're seeking to understand what God's will is for your life. Because if we seek not God's will for our life, we end up in quite a miserable place at times. Now, the verse I have for today and I've given you a key verse every one of these weeks, it comes from 1 John 2.17. So let's read this together. It's a real simple one. The world, let's start there, ready? Here we go. One, two, is it going to be hard? All right. One, two, the world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Isn't it true? The world and its desires pass away so quickly, but here's a promise to you in God's Scripture. If you seek to do the will of God, you will live forever. Now, what's the foremost important thing concerning doing God's will? The foremost important thing concerning doing God's will is that you have a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, and that you have come to a place of what is referred to in Christian circles as a point of salvation. That you cross from this side of indifference, double-mindedness, maybe blatant rebellion, to this side of embracing Christ and choosing to follow him, even though, as a young believer, you oftentimes don't know fully what it's all about. 
But you know that God created you. He loved you. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on you, die for your sins on a cross, to be raised from the grave. And not only did He come to forgive you of your sins, but He came to give you an inheritance of the kingdom of God and a relationship with Him. And so you repent. You turn from this direction and you move in this direction. In fact, one of the prayer concerns was a praise here this morning was thank God for saving a friend. Right? So... God's foremost will is for you to be in relationship with Him. I won't ask for a raise of hands this morning, but it is a question that comes to you. Have you turned from your indifference, double-mindedness, maybe outright rebellion, and chose to become a follower of Jesus Christ? That would be God's will. The man who does the will of God lives forever. 2 Peter 3.9 says this, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. I guess I just had to position that up front today with this whole discovering God's will, because we have a beautiful opportunity heading in to the Passion Week that's coming up in the spring season as we get out and around with one another that we encourage others, as maybe we have ourselves, to find their way to Jesus, to a place of repentance and salvation. For all the big questions of, oh God, what do you want me to do with my life? God, who I often refer to sometimes as the hound of heaven being on people's trail, is always beckoning and desiring that people would come into a saving relationship with him. And we get to participate in encouraging others to do that. And if you've never crossed that line of faith this morning, I encourage you to strongly consider giving your life to Jesus Christ. But once giving our life to Jesus Christ, there are these decisions that we really need God to be in the center of. Psalm 32, 8 through 9 says this, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by a bit and a bridle, or they will not come to you. Now, I don't know about you, but I love pictures. I see in pictures a lot of times. I'm a visual person. And this is a good visual for me. What kind of individual am I? Am I one who seeks to be instructed and taught by God? to observe his counsel, or am I like a horse or worse yet, a mule? And just have to have a bit and bridle on there and go, oh, come on, Bowman, up that direction, come this way, oh. right? And some of you, you've got marks along your face. I, I see that. You know, you've been, you've been resisting God's will in your life for a long time. He's pulling. It's like, why do you keep doing that year after year after year? It's really easier to be trained and instructed by God and learn to hear from him and move in his direction. So this is a promise to us. He wants to instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go to counsel you and to watch over you and not to be harsh with you. I like this quote from James Johnsey, though. He says this, God never burglarizes the human will. He may long to come in and help, but he will never cross the picket line of your unwillingness. You like that? He will never cross the picket line of your unwillingness. 
So up front, again, as I mentioned last week, we talked about the motive of the heart, if you were here, how critical that is, stamped over all the things that we're going to be talking about again today, is that the heart issue of willingness to follow, not to be ripped like a mule in one direction or another, is so critical. And God is a gentleman. He will not cross the line, the picket line of your unwillingness to determine for you to go in a certain route. I mean, how many people throw out the question of, oh, where's God at if there's all this evil or suffering in the world? Well, you rule it back and you keep rolling it back to the point of God gave each of us free will. And God one day will make all things right. One day there will be no more sin. One day he will wipe every tear from the eye in his new heaven and his new earth. But in this season that we live, we have this volitional choice because to choose to love God is far more powerful than to be a robot who's forced to love God. And so he gives us our will. But in giving us our will, he does not violate our will. He treats us as a gentleman. He himself, when he was incarnate in the flesh, he had to learn what? To be submissive to the Father's will, not his own will. And we see that time and again as we reflect on the events of the cross. But the motive of the heart is so critical as we seek to be able to make decisions and to move forward. Someone once determined that in the United States, a person has more than 23,000 ways to make a living. The odds are not in your favor to simply guess what you're supposed to do with your life. Now, does that mean he has a particular career or a particular job? We talked about that a few weeks ago, how God gives freedom and choice and liberty. He doesn't force us as sheep to eat different tufts of grass, but he leads us into pastures. All right. But there are decisions always before us. And some of those huge decisions have to do with what we're going to do with our life. And I think if I had to describe what my burden to unload is during this series, and that comes from some teaching I remember that Charles Stanley uh, gave to his son, Andy Stanley, both of them very powerful, successful preachers. And uh, Charles Stanley told his son that whenever he preaches, he only has one thing to do, and that is to unload his burden. Now, don't stand up and preach if you don't have a burden, is what Charles Stanley would say. So you find your burden. Well, every week, friends, I have to find what is my burden for standing up and sharing with you and for you giving me the time that you give me to share out of God's Word. My burden to unload, and I said it a couple weeks ago, men, you're back. My burden to unload is that you start to give a rip about God's will in your life and you have some tools to know how to find your way to the center of His will for your life because many a difficult life are described by people who have ignored the signs and ignored the calling of God for them on their life as to what they're doing in the big things as in the small things. He desires for you to have a broken will, to humbly come and say, not my will, but your will be done. There was a simple man in the Congo once who prayed. He said, Lord, you be the needle and I'll be the thread. You go first and I'll follow wherever you lead. Jesus, you lead. Jesus, you lead. And each of us need to come to that place. Now, this diagram we've worked with the last uh, few weeks, I want to drill down and be more particular in it concerning the discerning, concerning how to discern and discover God's will. And uh, the three lighthouses there come from a story that I told a couple weeks ago by F.B. Meyer. 
an old-time preacher, and he was uh, traveling across the seas, going back to his homeland of England. And as he was on a ship going into England, he turned to the captain and he said, boy, it's such a big sea. How, how do you know how to line yourself up to get into the River Thames? And the captain said to him, he said, well, he says, this is what I do. There's three lighthouses, and if I can get all three of those lighthouses lined up, then I know that I'm safe to go into the harbor. And so I want to give you three lighthouses to help you find your way safely into the harbor in discerning God's will. Once you come to a place of saying, not my will, but your will be done, how do we then begin to wrestle with what's happening? And so we have these three lighthouses, and I put these three words up there uh, on, the, on the arrow line, and I sort of flipped this around from where I was at a couple of weeks ago as I just thought and discerned through this more. And these three are not the three lighthouses, but these are three ongoing things in the process of you trying to discern what God's will is in a particular situation. And I changed one of the words. I put passion at the front. Passion and then prayer and then peace. Now, they're not sequential. They're all actually a part of this process, that there is a passion that you need to identify of what's going on in your heart. And that passion, hopefully, is to serve Jesus and to support all of his purposes on this earth, right? But that passion, you need to be able to dial into. And then there's the ongoing prayer, the spirit of prayer, whether it's articulating prayer, whether it's just being in the mindful presence of the Lord and communing with him. And ultimately, what you're seeking for in this process of discerning God's will is a place of peace. Have you ever come to a place of peace about a decision? Oh, glorious day. I have peace about this. But have you ever wrestled for a long time with no peace concerning decision? Yeah, I have. And part of that is purposeful by God. That sense of a lack or a lack of peace. When the peace comes that you're seeking, there's affirmation that this is the right decision I need to step into. And I'll tell you what, for all even that I've spoken on the last few weeks concerning discovering God's will, for me, that ultimate peace is just so critical. I can't move. Sometimes I myself am paralyzed with making this. But when the peace comes, and it may not be this overwhelming sense of, oh, I just got pulled over by God's peace. But it may just be a still, small voice that says, I'm in this. Walk in this way. I say, that's the peace of God. I'm going to walk with it, all right? So passion, prayer, and peace. But I want to just park here a little bit for the passion thing because I'm finding that uh, there's a lot of people that don't have much passion. Do you have passion? Now, there's a lot of people who have passion maybe about the wrong things. But I'm talking about passion for your life to make a difference in the kingdom of God. And so Satan's job is just sort of numify us all. Get us all caught up, busy, distracted by the noise that's around us and the business of schedules. But to quiet our hearts and say, Lord, you have made me a certain way. What, what, what passion? What, what do I feel passionate about? What does God trigger in my spirit? All right? I don't mean to pick on Angie over here, but I'm, I'm going to. Can I do that? <laughs> Angie, a few weeks ago, it's been a couple months ago now, uh, God led her uh, to start building a relationship with uh, a homeless person, right? Mm -hmm. Tom? Tom. 
And uh, maybe I'll have you come up and share a little bit about that journey sometime. Not today. She just freaked out. I just saw that. But, you know, when I saw some of that interface on Facebook, I thought to myself, God, thank you for giving a broken passion to Angie about helping this homeless man. And she did. And he's back in Michigan now and won't tell you the story. Maybe we'll tell it sometime. But it's that kind of thing where you're identifying, you know, I have a spirit of care and empathy for people, other people. Uh, I'll pick on Mike over here. Can I pick on you, Mike? He goes, why not? Mike and I had lunch last week, and um, uh, we were talking about his business. He's a small business owner. And so I started to dial in with how he can be of encouragement and serve the church and those kinds of things. I realized, you know, Mike is just wired to want to make things happen, to charge a hill, to develop things, and to network. And I'm like, that is of God. And how do we come around that and encourage that? Now the rest of you are starting to get worried. I'm going to pick on you as I'm looking around the room. That's what I like about a small church. I can do this. I, I won't pick on anyone else. But I tell you what, you need to identify some of the passions God's put in you because those passions are a key indicator for where he wants you to go with your life. All right? Now, it may not be some radical career change, that kind of thing, but where you invest your time, labor into it. All right? There's people that are serving in student ministry right now. People are serving in children's ministry right now. Why? Because they have to. Somebody's got to do it. No, I don't want to serve it out of duty. I want to serving out of passion. Because when you live your life from passion rather than from duty, it's just far more enjoyable. So when we identify discerning God's will, this passion thing is an undercurrent. It's brewing. And how do you identify what the passion is? All right? So we move from passion, prayer, and peace now into these three lighthouses that we've articulated before, and I just want to touch on them, drill down into them a little bit again uh, here today. The first is the promptings of the Holy Spirit. There will come time, and I put this at the front, because a lot of times like, oh, I'm this, this nebulous feeling. I don't know. When I think of God's will in my life, there's something, maybe it's from my passion base, that starts to rise within me. Maybe it's something I see around me. Some of those students that were here for the church planning seminar, it's just so fun to see God stir with their hearts and say, you, 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 I, I think I want you to help start a church or be a part of a redevelopment work or whatever it might be, right? Now, some of them were like, this is not for me after sitting in class for a week about uh, church planting, right? But what is the promptings of the Spirit? And many times they're identified directly with the passions or the experiences that are around you. And regardless of what's going on, I think you need to be still and before God to be able to listen to the promptings. And the promptings of the Spirit may not necessarily be feel-good experiences. They may be scary experiences. You may be prompted by the Spirit to step outside of your comfort zones and do something that maybe at first thought would like really, really scare you. The story is told of a farmer. He was a young farmer in a field. And uh, as many of you know, I'm from farming background, so you have to put up with farming stories. And uh, he was a young farmer, and, and he um, was trying to discern how the rest of his life really was supposed to be spent. And uh, he was pondering this out one day as he's working in the fields a little bit, and he looked up and he saw the clouds starting to form. And he started to see two letters form with the clouds in the sky. And the two letters were P and C. And he thought in that moment of this vision, he says, that's God's writing in the sky 
that I'm supposed to preach Christ. And so he dropped what he was doing. He got himself all cleaned up. He tried to redirect his life, put on a suit, and he went around. And he started preaching in the, in the valley for a while in, in the neighborhood. And people would see him, and, and they would come alongside of him, and they'd go, Zeb, what are, you, what are you doing preaching, man? He says, man, God showed me a vision, something. He prompted me that I, I saw a P and a C, and I'm supposed to preach Christ. He was telling that story. Well, he did that for the longest time, and he didn't get very far. There wasn't a lot of reward rewarding things or a lot of affirmation about what he was going on. And so there came another day when the people started to see him back in the fields working as a farmer. And they went up to him and said, Zeb, I, I thought that God had called you to preach Christ. And he says, you know, I've learned that maybe the P and the C stood for plant corn. <laughs> now, the reason I like that corny little story, I've told two of them now, right, um, is that that's exactly what happened to me. I come from a large farm corporation. My brother's farm, about 7,000 acres. I saw that grow from 700 acres to what it is today. We have all the big rig machinery. Uh, we'll, we're full bore, full bore into doing everything. We run a grain elevator for corn and soybeans that people bring in for the community. And, and I really, really enjoyed that. But there came a day, and I didn't see a P and a C in the sky. But there came a day when I was involved in a youth ministry, and some of you have heard this before, youth ministry went from about 30 to 130 within a year, and I was a part of that. I was helping lead it, and I was still finishing up some of my schooling. I was helping on the farm. I got to a place, though, when I started to see the life transformation of young people and what God could do in the hearts of people, that God began to prompt me by His Spirit where I got to a place where I say, said, I have to do this. I have to let go of this world and seize this world. Now, for my brothers, they serve Christ faithfully in the community through leading that farm corporation. For me, I like to dabble with it. I like to hear about it. I still watch the weather from the Midwest. I may be bizarre, but it changes more than it does around here. And so I fully identify with that leaving and then that attachment to a new direction because of a prompting of the Spirit. That's where it started. And many of you could go back to the same identification point of what you're doing in life, or maybe you're seeking for it right now. In the passions and the experiences and the heart that God has given you to serve Him, what are the promptings of the Spirit? Slow down, listen, and when He prompts you, then you need to move forward. That prompting of the Spirit whether audibly, visually, sometimes yes in a dream, sometimes yes in a vision, sometimes not, sometimes just the still small voice, that is a lighthouse for you to identify. And then you begin to follow him. Philippians 2.12 says this, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is a God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And the two other verses I've attached to this through the last couple of weeks, I say them again. Proverbs 16:9. The mind of the man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. In Proverbs 20:24, 20, man's steps are ordained by the Lord. How then can man understand his way? Who's it about? It's not about you. It's about God who created you, has a plan for your life, has a trajectory, and he wants you to dial into it. And through the power of his spirit, 
He will take you where you need to be. F.B. Meyer says this, But how much of our Christian work has been abortive because we have persisted in initiating it for ourselves instead of ascertaining what God was doing and where he required our presence. We dream bright dreams of success. We try to command it. We call to our aid all kinds of expedients, questionable and otherwise. At last we turn back, disheartened and ashamed, like children who are torn and scratched by the brambles and soiled by the quagmire. None of this would have come about if only we had been from the first under God's unerring guidance. So I leave you with that encouragement. And the second lighthouse is this, biblical teaching and counsel. Biblical teaching and counsel. God leads through his written word as well as through his affirming spoken word, I believe, from those who are around us. Psalm 119.105, again, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light into my path. 2 Timothy 3.16-17, some of you are familiar with this verse. It's a great verse. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. The scripture is full of precepts and principles. A precept is a truth that you need to obey, clearly undefined, right? Flee sexual immorality. That would be a precept. It would be like a, um, like a, a speed limit sign, 35 miles per hour. There's no questioning that sign. It says that's what the speed limit is. And by the way, if you come down this back way, sometimes a church, they're out there watching you. <laughs> so I've been looking, where's the speed limit sign? But they've been picking people up recently in the last couple of weeks because people in the neighborhood are what? They're going too fast, right? And you can identify with that in your own neighborhood. A precept, though, is a, a truth, all right? They're clearly marked statements throughout Scripture, all right? But a principle, a principle is more of a general guideline. It would be like the sign that says, please drive carefully. Well, carefully may be different things, all right? It may be that you need to drive 10 miles per hour. Carefully may be 50 miles per hour. I think that around Southern California, that's sort of what the general sign is. Please drive carefully, sort of, because all the precept signs that say the speed limit, I don't see them observed very well, right? <laughs> Until it rains out here, and everybody freaks out about rain out here. It's just amazing to me, right? It's like, oh, my gosh, we've never seen this before. How do we do it? Please drive carefully. That's, that's more of a, a general principle. And the scriptures are full of precepts and principles. And when God gives you the prompting of the Holy Spirit, you see that lighthouse and you're trying to line it up to the next lighthouse, go to the word of God and begin to search through the word of God what he may say. And please, can I encourage you to do this? Do not try to do something that God prohibits in scripture. All right? Just don't go there. It's a waste of time and it's a struggle, not only on your behalf, but I think it's very frustrating to God too. But in this thing of Scripture, and we won't park and spend a lot of time there, but I just it, the idea that you're in God's Word and letting God's Word season you through, right? Not just these rambling thoughts that come, right? 
But the scripture will speak into this situation, into this decision. And many times it's not just the scripture itself. It's those who have godly counsel around you who know the scriptures who can speak into your life. Can I just tell you how amazed I am through the years of my life of people who make pretty big decisions without consulting somebody who is a spiritual leader? It's just amazing to me. In fact, hardly a week goes by. And I'm not wanting to berate people and beat people up, but I, sometimes we maybe just forget to do this. And I'm not talking necessarily about a family member. Sometimes a family member can biblically know and give good counsel. I'm not necessarily talking about a friend because a friend's going to be a friend, right? Do you have individuals in your life who you can seek out godly counsel from, who can be objective in the situation, who can be uh, quick to listen, slow to speak, Give observation. Give a little tough love. And I'm not talking just about the big decisions with this, friends. There's decisions I find that people make concerning their families, concerning their places of worship, concerning the direction that they're going to spend their recreational time. All right? Seek some godly counsel. Help, help the process along by putting around you individuals who can speak into your life from a scriptural perspective. Because a lot of times we are blinded. We make decisions based off of emotions. Don't we? I just sort of feel this is the right thing to do. What do you mean feel? Or, you know, maybe you line up some reasons that are just, they're half-cocked and wrong and they're in error. They're untruths maybe. Seek out counsel around you. You would be amiss if you moved into a major decision or even sometimes what we'd consider more minor decisions without hearing from those who are around you. All Scripture and people who follow the Scriptures are able to give you exhortation. Do not be a lone ranger Christian and refuse to listen to wise spiritual counselors and reflect greatly on God's word. I believe that's one of the reasons God gives us the call to come together and worship. You could worship Jesus by yourself, but there's something that happens when you commit to a community, you interact, and even maybe more so in small groups, whatever it may be, where you build relationships of depth. Do you not have time for it? No, you don't. We're all busy. But I find a lot of Lone Ranger Christians because they've not taken time to weigh in to building the healthy, spiritually rooted relationships around them, especially when it comes time for words that need to be spoken into their life. So with this, I'm not asking you to go and find some guru in Tibet or some serious-looking stranger or some happy-go-lucky friend of yours. It's a serious call to make sure that you're cultivating relationships with spiritual leaders around you and you leverage those relationships. That's lighthouse number two. How are we going to steer the ship here? Prompting of the Spirit. Lord, I believe from the passions, experiences, all that's going on in my life, this is something you would have me to consider. Is this of you? I'm looking for your peace. Lord, what does your word say? 
what does your word say concerning your precepts and your principles in my life? And it's directly, you know, against a precept, then don't go that direction. If it's a principle, a guideline, then, then weigh into that and then bring that biblical counsel around you from a spiritual leader. Lighthouse number two, lighthouse number three is observe providence, providential circumstances and timing. God's impressions within and his word without are always corroborated by his providence around. God's impressions within and his words without are always corroborated by his providence around. It's remarkable how God uses circumstances in our life. Sometimes I'm always scared about this and you have to take them in the right measure. But many times uh, things are sort of utterly blocked because of the circumstances. Maybe it's a timing thing. Maybe it's not a no. You know, when God answers our prayers, right? I mean, I've heard this. He either says no, go, or slow. I don't like the slow. But sometimes the slow is evidenced by the circumstances around you. I want to read for you on a scripture about the fiery cloud in Numbers 15. Follow along with me with your ears. On the day of the tabernacle that it was set up, a cloud covered it. The Israelites. Old Testament. Journey to the promised land. But from evening until morning, the cloud over the tabernacle looked like a pillar of fire. This was the regular pattern. At the night, the cloud that covered the tabernacle had the appearance of fire. Whenever the cloud lifted from over the sacred tent, the people of Israel would break camp and follow it. And wherever the cloud settled, the people of Israel would set up camp. In this way, they traveled and camped at the Lord's command wherever he told them to go. When they remained in their camp, as long as the cloud stayed over the temple, if the cloud remained over the tabernacle, I'm sorry, the tabernacle, for a long time, the Israelites stayed and performed their duty to the Lord. Sometimes the cloud would stay over the tabernacle for only a few days, so the people would stay for only a few days as the Lord commanded. Then at the Lord's command, they would break camp and move on. Sometimes the cloud stayed only overnight and lifted the next morning. But day or night, when the cloud lifted, the people broke camp and moved on. Whether the cloud stayed above the tabernacle for two days, a month, or a year, the people of Israel stayed in camp and did not move. But as soon as it lifted, they broke camp and they moved. So they camped or traveled at the Lord's command, and they did whatever the Lord told them through Moses. I think it's a great analogy of circumstantial stuff in our life. God's providence. All right? Here's the, the cloud, the pillar of fire as it would move and decide, hey, you stay, you go, right? So sometimes you got the inner prompting of the Spirit. you got the affirmation of God's Word. you got affirmation of spiritual leaders around you. And you're looking for the next lighthouse. That next lighthouse is God's providence through all the things as it moves together. Don't move too quickly. And don't move too late. Here's an example of such with the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians 2.12. When I came to the city of Troas to preach the good news of Christ, the Lord opened a door of opportunity for me. But now the next verse is interesting. You'd think, well, there's circumstantial things. Door of opportunity, stay, let's preach. Verse 13. But I had no peace of mind because my dear brother Titus hadn't yet arrived with a report from you. So I said goodbye and went on to Macedonia to find him. There was no pillar of fire for the Apostle Paul in his missionary journeys. I'm sure he wished there were. 
But he did have circumstantial providential things happening around him that determined his movement as he sought the peace of God that was involved. Friends, if God closes a door, don't try to kick it down. Or you'll be like Balaam and the donkey that we looked at last week. You'll be in a very troubled spot. But if God opens doors and the timing's right, then don't hesitate to walk through them. Be sensitive to these circumstances. And can I tell you this? Don't manipulate circumstances. I've told two cheesy stories. I might as well tell a third. There was an overweight man in an office, and he told his co-workers that he was going to go off of donuts because donuts were just not good for him. They say he plotted him. You go off of donuts. The next day he walks in, and he has a big box full of donuts. And they said, well, buddy, I, I thought you swore off of donuts. And he says, well, I did. But when I left this morning, I told God if he wanted me to stop at the donut shop, because when you drive by the donut shop, it's packed, man. There's cars. You can't even find a parking space. If he wanted me to stop at the donut shop, there would be a parking place right by the front door. And so I drove by the donut shop, and I only had to circle around the block ten times until a door opened up. <laughs> Don't manipulate circumstances, but try to read the providence of God through them all. And so we have these three, and then ultimately what we're looking for is God's peace. But when that peace comes, then we have to step in by faith into action. Take the action step and seek to serve God in it. A verse from last week, Ephesians 5.15. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up, and we're going to close with a couple songs here just for you, I believe, to meditate on God's goodness in your life and what he's doing in your life. But also just to lay your life freshly before him concerning his direction and his will for you. I'm very mindful in a room like this. There's all kinds of decisions that need to be made, all kinds of directions being sought. Maybe there's some things you've set aside that are coming back to you you have to re-decide on. But seek God. He desires to show you His will for your life and His will for these situations. Slow down. Listen to His promptings. Take the time to be in His Word as you seek other godly counsel around you, and then have a wise, discerning spirit to the providential circumstances and timing that's involved. And then by God's grace, may you step out in faith. May you step out in action. Let's sing together. The ushers are going to come during this time to receive your tithes and offerings. We're going to sing a couple songs, and then we're going to close um, with a video.